I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine, the show where we take a sneak peek inside the working day of some of the most successful authors around. Uh, This week, uh, our first guest of 2020 of a brand new decade is Amy Haydenreich. Uh, She's sharing the writing routine for her brand new book, The Pact, which is all about whether a harmless prank could actually lead to murder. Now, we talk about how that story has been brewing away in the back of her mind for years and years, and then how why she finally started uh, putting her pen down and writing it. Uh, Also, we talk about how she believes in getting all of her words down as early in the day as possible. And we speak about why, for the new book, she made a big change. For the book I'm drafting now, I've plotted it by spreadsheet. Ah. (laughs) Because I am now a serious author who wears loungewear. But still, the spreadsheet helps me track the general... It's a very complicated plot, um, so... I can track the general flow of the narrative, but there's de- I am totally rebelling against it. I must just be honest. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm the spreadsheet person because I keep on throwing in new chapters and then I add new twists throughout the book. So stick around. There's all that and loads more on the way in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, hello, welcome along. My name's Dan Simpson. This is Writer's Routine, where we try and steal uh, some of the scheduling secrets from some of the world's best writers. Uh, And it's our first show of 2020, and I've got a busy one for you. First, before we get into it, I need to start with a little apology. I really am genuinely sorry that that our schedule has been kind of all over the place recently. I mean, this is the first show in, in, what, a month since we did the Anne Cleves one? I know it's been a bit higgledy-piggledy, so I really appreciate you you pushing through with that one. And if you, I feel really bad. If you support the show over on Patreon and you're still doing that, just a massive thank you for keeping on going and, and for supporting the show and for helping us out. I mean, especially in spite of the lack of action for the past few weeks. Uh, everything was kind of up in the air, but I've managed to reach up and drag it down and to sort it out. And I really can't thank you enough for staying with the show and staying supporting and staying subscribed. Uh, everything now should be back to normal. Fingers crossed we will be with you every Friday for at least the next couple of months anyway. Uh, I've got some fantastic authors talking about a wide range of books in the next few weeks. You can find out what's going on. You can get 
the whole schedule or the list of our episodes that are coming up uh, over on Twitter. Give us a follow. It's at Writers Pod. Now, this week we are joined by Amy Haydenreich. Her debut, Shame on You, uh, it was published back in 2017. And you can hear all about the break that she took after writing that. Uh, why she was forced to kind of take it easy a little bit and why she really wanted to crack on and what it taught her about working on this new novel. Now, she's been featured in short story and poetry anthologies. Uh, She's been shortlisted for awards. She's a tech and a finance journalist. Her new novel is The Pact. Uh, You can hear all about it and and why it's quite close to home, actually, throughout our chat in this episode. And you can also get a tiny little writing routine from someone else, from one of the world's most widely read Spanish authors. And it will be given to you uh, from a very special guest someone that's really close to the heart and the very fabric of the show i know that's a little bit confusing but it'll all become clear in a little bit stay with us first let's get into it uh, with this week's guest amy haydenreich and we start as always with what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write i see a giant bookstore loads and loads of books all around me because i walk across the road to my favorite bookshop in the world in South Africa and I get a lot of quiet and writing time done there. So you're sat in a bookstore writing? Yes so in the bookstore there's a long table and there's a coffee shop and all sorts um, lumber in and out of there and people reading books, people working on writing projects. Um, A couple of South Africans who actually write international books write with me there as well. And it's just a little bit of a hub, and we all we all end up there drinking coffee and writing. Where has that come from then? You you going out of your way writing at a bookstore and not just doing it in your bedroom or your front room? So for me, it's because I have a toddler, and he's a very loud little boy. He loves to hang out with me, and um, I, I technically I could write anywhere, but there is there is something nice about the ritual of going somewhere. And sitting down to do it in, uh, and I like the busyness around me. I like the people watching. Often there will be people having a conversation opposite me, and I will take a little bit of the dialogue as my own, and and just the inspiration that there are all these books around you that have taken the same work and creative effort and their products all around you. So well, I was thinking about that. Can you talk to us about? That inspiration is—is that, is that the case? You—you you, you sat there amongst so many books that have done it, that have, have been an idea, they've been published. How is that? Is that—is that somewhat daunting, or is it the reverse? Is it very helpful to you? It's always been very helpful to me. So I believe in—I I believe in creative inspiration, but I also just believe in very hard work. So when I was looking for an agent for the very first time, I would go into that same bookstore and I'd grab a pile of books in my thriller genre off the shelves and I would read every single opening chapter and I would see how effective it is, what it sparked in me, were there any common features and that helped me shape my own manuscript because I mean the best way to write well is by reading. What did you learn from these? Uh, I mean you might be you know teaching our listeners who know kind of about the tricks and the tropes of thriller writing to suck eggs but when you are reading the first chapters what did you notice what did you pick up on which then influenced the way you write I think it's a very 
It's a very good question. And one can write a couple of thrillers and not not even see the pattern behind what you're doing yet. So, I mean, my first novel, Shame On You, was written completely intuitively. And I, I worked a lot on the pitch, and but I didn't think too much about the structure or whether I was following a time-old tradition of structuring a thriller. But I'd say that in the first chapter, the first thing that you have to create is that emotional hook with a reader and a contract with a reader that there is a mystery that they want to see solved. So I think, um, you know, that, that quality of a book where you call it book gripping, it's because that reader, it's not only just the mystery, it's an innate interest in the characters and caring about them in some way which is sometimes hard because one can write quite awful characters. So, I mean, the protagonists in this book are luckily a lot more likable than my first. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so when you're in y- your bookshop, is there anything else that you need with you? Are there any other constants that help you tell your story every day? Coffee, my MacBook, my little um, MacBook Air, and sometimes a pen and paper when I take notes. Also my cell phone. So while I sit down and write at a certain time every day, I'm pre-writing all the time. I used to do that in notebooks and I used to have about 20 notebooks everywhere and I would lose them. I'd forget that I had, you know, written this amazing scene for a manuscript and then the book would go to print and I'd realize, oh, there was a whole (laughs) kind of backstory I wanted to add. Uh, But so what I do these days is on the notes of my phone, I have a whole list of, um, I section it per character and often I free write specific scenes or moods or backstories in there. And then when I sit down to write, I go through that and I see where to fit it in. Is that understandable, the the notes that you are writing, that you're free writing, or is it more of a stream of consciousness that then you need to piece together when you are putting it on the MacBook? They're quite, they're quite tactical. So often there'll be a problem that I know I need to solve in a manuscript, a character that's not quite gelling or an aspect of a crime which is unfortunately just not making sense so basically what thriller writers do i think is that we come up with an outlandish outlandish scenario and then you just have to sort out logistics and then unfortunately your editor and publisher like to show up your the the logistics of how what you're doing probably doesn't make much sense um so yeah i'm usually working on that in the back of my mind or a backstory for characters so in the beginning when you write a book you have these characters and you want them to behave in a certain way but you also have to meet them and get to know them and see uh, the nuances of their personality and the contradictions of their personality and unfortunately when you're drafting a book you don't know that up front no matter how many books you take it's only through seeing the way that they behave and the what they say and how they respond to other characters can you really understand them so that note-taking really steps up the more that I get through a manuscript and the more that I edit. So I wake up at about 5.30 with my son and usually in the morning I'm just having a cup of coffee with him. I might be, depending on how energetic he is, I'm either running after him or I am 
taking notes to prepare for the day. I believe in doing all my writing up front in the morning as soon as I can. So as soon as my husband's looking after him, um, has taken his turn, I go straight upstairs. I'm usually, uh, I'm probably in like a tracksuit. I call it home clothes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so just, you know. I've heard many different variations of the word home clothes on these shows. Yes. Some people will just say pyjamas, call yeah. a spade a spade. Yes. Uh, can I quickly cut in? Uh, do you know what? I'm going to say loungewear. Loungewear, I think I'm going okay. to redefine myself as a very sophisticated I was going to say it's very executive, isn't it? Yes. Can I quickly cut in? You say you believe in doing all your work in the morning. Yes. What does that mean? What are you believing in? Why are you getting it done in the morning? So I believe that when you wake up, you're at your creative peak, um, your energetic peak as well. I think you can solve problems better. And I think many writers are balancing fiction writing with some sort of day job or even just their family and home responsibilities. And it's very tempting to go, when I get all these things out of the way, then I'm going to focus on my manuscript. But I think it should be the other way around. So from if I could wake up and write even earlier, I would love to do that. I haven't waxed that yet. But I every single day for two hours minimum, I will wake up and I will write fiction. And the reason for that is also because writing is a practice it's like running or yoga or anything that if you want to be consistently good you have to put in effort every single day and and the more you do that so even when I'm in the final stages of e- editing a novel going to print I I often write short stories or poetry or other novels in different genres just because I need to be writing to keep in that zone um, all this talk of your loungewear and this theory has distracted <laughs> me from the point. So uh, you've woken up with your son about 5.30, then when <laughs> you've woken up with your son about 5.30 and then um, he's being kind of looked after. When are you then moving across to the bookstore? When are you starting writing? Yeah, it, good point. So there's the early morning writing, loungewear, then about 8.30 a.m., which is not a coincidence because it's exactly when the nanny arrives. <laughs> <laughs> I, I walk across. The bookstore is literally right opposite the street where I live. So my life is rather convenient at the moment. And, yes, I'll walk across there. And, I mean, it depends. I think maybe when it's crunch time and which is towards the end of a book where you deepen the plot, it's very complex, then I will dedicate whole days to writing and, you know, take... My day job must just sort itself out and then... And then I'll probably just do it all at home and then I get... My work-life balance is terrible. Then I'm not drinking much i'm not eating much mm-hmm. food <laughs> i mean I, I hope to improve on that but <laughs> I, I think when you get so deep in something it just takes up all your attention when it's not crunch time when it's just a you know you're in the middle of the book kind of muddling through that sticky se- uh, section that everyone finds how many hours will you hope to get through so it's words for me i like to write two thousand words a day that's it so I that can happen in an hour and a half if I'm really inspired and or I need to sit down at my desk 
for six hours until those 2,000 words are out. And it's it's an important figure for me because it, it helps me just push on through the progress of the book and it allows me to have something on a page to edit. And that's where all the magic happens, which I'm sure all your authors tell you that. That's interesting that it's all in the editing for you. Does that mean, how much are you caring about the quality of those 2,000 words? I think in the beginning when I wasn't as confident in my own writing process, I thought that drafting fast would compromise the, co- the quality. But it, do- it, really, it's, it really depends. So you can write really fast and have this inspired session and then look back at it and go, what was I thinking? But And then you can push through something and every word feels excruciating and you're judging yourself the entire time. And then you read it and it, it looks absolutely fine. It's, it's, more, it's more about where you are at in the story and how close you know your characters. Um, so for me, I feel that if I just have something down, then... At least I can, I know the flow of the story and what it's meant to be. So, for example, with the pact, the ending to the pact was written in five minutes, that last chapter. And so I was about to hand in the manuscript to Bonnier, and the book ended in a completely different way. And I sat down at the coffee shop, had a sip of coffee, and I was preparing the email and everything. And then I, and then I went, oh, wait. If I do this, it will be so much more staggering as a book and it actually makes so much more sense. So I sat and I was actually so overtired at that time. I'd had like no sleep the night before and I just free wrote this chapter quickly, quickly. I sent it to my agent for one last check. I was doubting myself and she said, oh my gosh, I love the twist. And then we sent it straight to Bonnie. So that's a case of something that was free written very quickly which is and the whole success of the pact I believe well the success of any thriller hangs on an ending that feels satisfying so and for and I the only reason I was able to do it is because I knew the flow of the story so well and it wasn't something that could be plotted or even written slowly because it was so from the heart well, I, I want to pick up on that because, and it's, this is quite a hard question to articulate. Uh, I kind of—it's almost philosophical. Where is where is the story written? Do you think so? You've got that f- that flash of inspiration where you're free writing in five minutes. What turns out to be the most pivotal moment in your whole story that hadn't existed up until then. Yes. Where has it come from? Where where has that flash of inspiration? How how has it developed? I could go completely esoteric here, but I won't. I'll go like mid-esoteric. <laughs> I, I do believe that to really get the most out of your creativity, you do connect to some sort of flow. So if you are very traditional, you could say it's a flow of your own creativity. If you're very out there, you could say it is the collective unconsciousness of the world. But there is something that happens that is not entirely you and that is not entirely planned for and that could just be your own subconscious but you have to be very open and non-judgmental of yourself 
And, and as I said, that daily ritual of writing every day is so important because the more that you, the more that you write, the more that you realize that it's just something you're doing every day. And some days the muse shows up and other days it doesn't. And I'm pretty much directly quoting an author. I can't remember who. I think it's Anne Lamott. Anyway. Well, the book I'm drafting now, I've plotted it by spreadsheet <laughs> because I am now a serious author who wears loungewear. <laughs> uh, but still, the, the spreadsheet helps me track the general, it, it's a very complicated plot, um, so I can track the general flow of the narrative, but there's... De I am totally rebelling against it. I must just be honest. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm the spreadsheet person because I keep on throwing in new chapters and then I add new twists throughout the book. But so I do, I know what theme and character I'm working on for this book. And I guess with the pact, I knew what, I always know where I'm entering the narrative because I'll, I'll finish up at the end of the day, the day before, and then, I'll know, okay, I'm coming in to this, and I would have done some thinking and planning just, you know, loosely before that. So lastly on the day, when you've stopped writing, when you've got your 2,000 words, be that has taken you uh, an hour or six, are you then letting it go for a day, or are you, are you, do you edit that day as well? How, how much are you thinking about what's coming tomorrow? So my new process which I did with the pact as well, is I don't go back and edit very fine edits just because I'm trying to keep up with the momentum of the story. So I'm pushing forward as much as possible and trying to just see where where the story is going. And then only I'll go back when the entire book is finished and then I edit several times before anybody sees it. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We'll be back with more from Amy uh, and loads more about her new novel, The Pact, in just a sec. First, I want to throw out another huge apology uh, for the kind of lack of shows over the Christmas period. I mean, you know, there's loads going on. There's family. There's tons of food. 
and kind of all that got in the way, I have to be honest. But I promise we'll keep them as regular as clockwork as we go on. And if you're supporting the show on Patreon, I'd massively appreciate you for carrying on with that. Uh, all the bits of merch should be out now. They should, You should have them all. If you have got them and you haven't sent me an email to let me know that you've got the things that you've uh, gained through your pledge, uh, please do fire over writersroutine at gmail.com. You can send me a message over at writersroutine.com as well. Uh, I'd love you to support the show if you can. I've got so many amazing writers all on the way in the next couple of months. If you would like those episodes to kind of be as regular and consistent as possible right the way through 2020, uh, I would love you to just spare a dollar or so a month, as much as you can afford to swing my way. Uh, It's all really appreciated. It's all really useful. Every single cent that we get is is absolutely treasured. I can't believe that anyone would send cash to this show for what we're doing. So the fact that so many are, I really love you for it. And, and if you want to get on board, if you want to help support the show, if you have learned any tips in the last 80 or so episodes that's helped the way that you tell your stories, uh, please do send us what you can. Pledge a little bit. Help the show out. It's patreon.com forward slash writers routine. I've got something quite special for you now. You see, two and a half years ago when I first started the podcast, uh, I had the idea for the show after reading a book by Mason Curry. Uh, He wrote it after writing a a blog about this kind of thing, the stuff that we're talking about for a few years. Uh, And then he he turned it into into a book. It's called Daily Rituals, and it takes you through loads of routines from some of the most amazing people right the way through history. Everyone from P.G. Woodhouse, Benjamin Franklin, Gertrude Stein. And actually, if you've been on board with this show right from the beginning, if you've listened to the very first few episodes that we did, you can actually hear me telling you all about some of those rituals and routines straight from the book. I've got to be honest. Now, Mason is back with a brand new one. It's Daily Rituals, Women at Work. It does what it says on the tin. Now, he will be a guest on this show, talking us through the book and how he wrote it in the next few weeks. Uh, Before we get that, though, uh, he'll be popping up every week or so to tell us all about his favourite daily rituals, which are featured in the brand new book. Isabel Allende starts each new book on January 8th. The day in 1981 that she began writing the letter to her dying grandfather that eventually became her first novel, The House of the Spirits. She said in 2016, To have a starting date, which started as a superstition because it was a lucky day for me, is now a matter of discipline. I have to organize my life, my calendar, everything around that day. I know that on January 8th, I'm cut away from everything, sometimes for months. This period of seclusion, during which Allende refuses trips, lecture invitations, interviews, and other impositions on her time, lasts only until the first draft is done. After that, she is less strict about her time, although she still writes every morning, weekends included, from shortly after waking until lunchtime. I'm a morning person, she said. I get up at 6 a.m., sometimes before. I have my coffee with my dog, and then I get dressed and I put on makeup and high heels, even if nobody is going to see me because it puts me in the mood of the day. If I stay in pyjamas, I won't do anything. There you go. It's daily ritual number one for us. Uh, That's Mason Curry uh, reading you an extract from his brand new book, Daily Rituals, Women at Work. He'll be on this show to tell us loads about the new book in, in the next few weeks, and we'll get him popping up more or less every week as well to tell us another amazing daily routine from history. 
Right, let's get back into it then with Amy Haydenreich talking all about her brand new book, The Pact. Uh, in this part of the chat, we talk about how she knows what's happening next in the story. I make her visualise the famous uh, writer's roadmap that I love so much. I can't believe that. You know, one of the first episodes we had, I think a, a reader, no, sorry, a writer compared it to a roadmap. And now I'm kind of obsessed with it. I must bore so many authors asking them to take me through the way they work in terms of a roadmap. But I do it with Amy and she plays along and I think we get on with it rather well, actually. Also, we talk about what writing short stories taught her about telling stories and also why she finally chose crime as the genre for her. That's on the way. We pick things up, though, talking about the new novel, The Pact, and where that very first idea came from. I think the pact had been brewing for a long time since my first job because I I basically was a very young, vulnerable person in a high-pressure working environment and I experienced a bit of office bullying and I perhaps... And it really pressed on a lot of buttons for me. And that story always stayed with me throughout my career. I think because... It, as a young woman or a young man entering the workplace, it is it is so daunting. And I think there are lots of things that people just take on the chin because they think they're meant to. So that story had been brewing. And I suppose, yeah, after Shame on You, I just had this idea of what would happen if you push that situation to fever pitch and if someone hit out against a bully in the workplace but they they took it a step too far so what the pact is about is that our main character Freya she is bullied to breaking point in the workplace at her supposed dream job and the one night she has a bit too much to drink and she plays a bit of an online prank on her office nemesis and it's really it's a silly little thing it's something anybody could do online but and she thinks that the next day she'll just wake up with a hangover and forget that ever happened but then her office nemesis Nicole is found dead in her apartment and that same morning Freya starts to receive messages on her phone suggesting that somebody knows what she did and that she might be next yeah so like there's a lot there that, that that's come from that initial pitch of your own experiences. How do you move it on from that first question? So as a writer, you're 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 planning a thriller, and you think, what if this bullying at workplace gets pushed to fever pitch? What, what comes next for you? How how do you answer that question? For me, I, I like to lead with the emotion of the characters. So you can push any situation to fever pitch, but it will only be plausible if the reader can see themselves doing the same thing. So so with the pact and I think and obviously with Shame on You and the Pact, I deal with what happens when people act out online. <laughs> yeah, so they they thrillers that always have a bit of a digital angle because that's such a huge part of our lives now and I think we're really coming to terms with how we operate in the digital space and how we don't slip up and how we protect ourselves. 
So that was a big part of plotting the pact as well, is to make that digital aspect very plausible and so that anyone who was reading it would go, oh my gosh, I can see myself doing that. I never thought that would be, that could have such strong repercussions. In, in, in practical terms of the process, what does come next? So when you're thinking, I want the reader to be able to put themselves in this situation, how is that then translated onto the page? So you're thinking about the characters and their emotions. On a very minute, practical level, how are you thinking who these characters actually are? Is it brainstorming? Are you making lists? What's going on? So for the pact, I really, I free wrote a lot of the first draft. I just followed where the characters wanted to take me. I did do a lot of character development research in the sense of lists of, you know, very minute details like what would Freya's favorite food be? What books would she like to read? Um, what did Jay do on the weekends? That sort of thing. And and that some of that research never actually makes it into the book, but it helps you get to know your character better. The way I like to explain it is, you know, when you first write a book, it's like showing up at a new office. It's like kind of awkward. You don't know who to, who's going to be your friend or not. Who you're sitting, eating your lunch alone. <laughs> you don't know where you fit in yet. So yes, a lot of those lists, a lot of, um, I, I think writers often go through a stage of reading a lot of how to, <laughs> how to books again, even if they've written ten <laughs> books before. <laughs> like, uh, so and I so I did try to plot it a bit more traditionally through reading a lot of resources, and then I'd say in terms of written content, Brit mind mapping was huge for me so the very old school like drawing a circle in the middle of the page with arrows pointing out of it we were taught that at school and for some reason it stuck with me my whole life <laughs> so you've got the, these characters you have Freya you've got Nicole you've got Jay day one when you sat down to write I I in your bookshop what do you know about what the pact will turn out to be it's a good question because it really it turned out to be nothing to what I first imagined I mean I think I, I I knew that Nicole was murdered that was the first chapter that I wrote but I didn't know who did it and I honestly went through every single character in that book as the murderer so when the people are reading it thinking oh it's very plausible it could be this person it's because when I was writing it I was believing that <laughs> so I honestly went through uh, I'd, I wasn't sure who had killed Nicole and that that stayed the same for a vast part of the book so when I sat down on the first day it was describing the murder and what happened describing Freya's role and how she was led to be associated with it and then just solving the mystery for myself so I like to start a book I, I mean I usually just I'm already thinking and drafting about a book even while I'm editing the book before. But say if we can start around December. So in December in South Africa where I'm from, pretty much from 1st of December, everyone decides it's summer holidays. They're not going to work until January 16th. So things get extremely quiet. Um, so I I like to really get in, intensely draft 
books over that period. So my fir- the first draft of a book will take around two to four months, especially if I've planned it quite well. Then I will... Uh, so then I will finish the draft. I'm now taking some space from my books after the first draft. So the typical Stephen King method, I think it's six weeks or something like that, that I don't look at it at all because I'm I'm very compulsive when I've written something. I write it and then I just want the whole world to see it when it's just a little lava that makes no sense. So... I'm now being disciplined and I'm stepping away from it Then I'm coming back and then I go into an intensive editing period um, alone and then it's usually after about two or three edits I send it to my agent and my agent gives me my dose of reality <laughs> and where, where certain things need polishing and, um, and the plot needs refining. Another thing with me is that uh, being South African, I, I'll sometimes include things in the plots. I, I have to research a lot about the UK justice system or in the Pax case, the US justice system. And there'll, be, there'll just be aspects of how our police work <laughs> that creeps in or yeah, just cultural things. So a lot of that I have to edit out. And then after those edits are done, I will send it to... Um, my editor and then there's a whole lot of another round of developmental edits etc you've written across many different things so a couple of novels and poems and short stories and articles you were talking about your agent uh bringing you back down to reality (laughs) what if you're being self-critical for a second what do you find are the things that you do mostly get pulled up on what are these things that you are doing? And all writers have them that, that they are saying, hang on, you, you, you're doing this, Amy. So I, I know my characters very well in my head, but I don't necessarily, in the beginning, help my readers to get to know them. So there'll be a whole backstory that I think the reader obviously knows about, <laughs> that my agent should know too, but it's about you know refining that and really pulling it out. I think it's also, as an author, the biggest thing I've had to learn is to not not to be in denial when something is wrong in the prose. Because you know your work best, often you know what the problem is, but you just don't know how to solve it yet, so you're avoiding it, or you just don't feel like doing it. (laughs) But there's some things that... So an agent helps me just have that extra perspective and... Because often when you get your notes back either from an agent or an editor, there's a period of a day or two where there's a bit of a sulk and you're like, (laughs) they received it and they didn't say it was 100% perfection (laughs) and they're not going to print immediately. (laughs) So I, but that allows you to to really face up to what needs to be changed and then it's a wonderful challenge creatively of going back in and facing the thing that you didn't want to do. Often for me, it's it can be the most subtle things. It can be just the way that I describe a character's facial expression or the way that they they react to something that makes the whole next tranche of the story fall into place for me. 
and sometimes it could even be for the book I'm currently writing it's 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 hanging a lot on music so when I want to go back to the essence of the character and what they would do next there's especially for this one murder I'm writing now there's a song that I play every time and I'm like yes <laughs> that's what he'd do <laughs> and on a very practical level of, of words and language how much thought do you give to what word is coming next gosh quite quite a bit because it's it's not only the right word, it's the rhythm of the sentence. And it's it's words that one maybe tends to use too often or descriptions. So I, in the past, I've, I've written a character who was very nervous about something. So she was always breathing very quickly or she was feeling choked up. And it, it actually reveals quite a lot about you in what words you use and how you physically describe your characters. How did you know, at what point did you know that this character would be choked up? <laughs> is, it, is this thought that, as in, that she would be nervous and that came across in the writing? Was that premeditated at all? Or was just, did your fingers find, find themselves writing that? Something that I found personally quite challenging as an author, the more that I write, is describing how people physically experience trauma because personally I like to really just dissociate from bad things happening and I, I'm not someone who really, I think I, I don't live in my body a lot. I like to sit and write and I like to think about writing and read books and I'm, I'm not concerned enough about my own physical experience of the world. So when it comes to writing characters in stressful situations, you really have to challenge yourself in terms of how to describe what they're feeling and to make it sound different and relatable and visceral so what I've actually started doing is I've started a mindfulness meditation practice so that I can really feel the sensations in my of how I'm experiencing my body in the moment and I'm hoping that will help me describe physical experiences even more lastly i think um how much thought do you give as a writer to what you want to be as a writer as in I, i've often thought this do you give much consideration to where it's all going to end up like would you like to be a stephen king type of writer who publishes i don't know 20 books a year or some nonsense or would you like to be like a harper lee who has like one magnum opus and that's kind of it it's very interesting because my writing path didn't start with crime. So I started writing quite literary fiction. So I was definitely imagining myself as the Harper Lee type where I write something and it's just dazzling mm. and it's the voice of a generation. Then I come in 10 years later with my next daz <laughs> dazzling novel. But then through um, writing short stories, I started to understand how crime can be such an interesting expression for where we are at as a society and I really enjoyed it I enjoyed the challenge of it because yeah within genre fiction there's so much that you can explore and showcase without being too threatening <laughs> to a reader or too or too judgmental um not saying that literary <laughs> authors are threatening or judgmental but so so then I just wanted to be published internationally 
And nowadays, I would love just to be a career author. And I think that does mean publishing frequently, publishing high quality books frequently. So I really look up to Tana French as a crime author. I'm actually currently finally reading her book, The Witch Elm, which is just spectacular. Locally, there's an author called Dion Mayer who's published here as well. I mean, he's published so many books I've lost track. But I think it's it's so great as a writer to really just create create a big body of work because you're exploring so many aspects of yourself and so many stories and you hopefully taking your readers with you and that is it for this week's writer's routine massive thank you to amy haydenreich for coming on the show her new book the pact uh, is out right now next week we are joined by hugh montgomery the man on about a thousand missions uh, all over the place he's one of the busiest dudes i've ever met and i've got to be I've got to say uh, just one of the nicest guys I think, that's ever walked the planet as well. He's one of the people that, you know, sleeps for four hours a day, writes books, saves lives, trying to save the planet, runs ultramarathons, climbs mountains, swims to the bottom of the ocean. He does all that, and it's absolutely preposterous. Just a little bit of homework. I said this to you a few weeks ago, um, probably a couple of months ago now. I'm so behind anyway. Uh, If you've not, a little bit of homework, right? If you've not looked up the Guardian article might be Observer. Anyway, if you've not looked up the article about Hugh Montgomery yet, you need to get online and do it right away. Just go onto Google, type in Hugh Montgomery, uh, then click on the news part, and there'll be this article all about you know what he does. And it's absolutely mind-blowing. And if you read that before next week, it'll stand you in great stead to kind of keep up with the chat. Uh, That'll be with you hopefully next Friday. Before then, if you've enjoyed this episode, uh, if you want to help out the show, please do support and pledge what you can over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. You can always leave us a review on the Apple podcast store if that's how you're listening to the show. If you're not, but you want to pass on the word, why don't you do that? By spreading the word... Uh, face to face if you're part of a writing club if you're part of the writing community on twitter and on facebook as well just let someone else know make it a really great 2020 for us all you can follow us on twitter it's writers pod and if you've got if you've got anything to say please do fire it my way you can send a message to me at writersroutine.com and i will see you next week with hugh montgomery thanks for listening bye Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.